welcome to another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your sports illustrated source for all Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, and joined by a recurring guest, Sports Illustrated All-American Director of Football Recruiting, Mr. John Garcia, Jr. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Tyler. How about you? Great to have you back on. I'm doing good, by the way. Great to have you back on here. Uh, I know when Alabama fans are going to listen to this on Friday morning, they are going to – I know they're going to be ecstatic, right? Yeah, they should be. They really should be. This class is, is starting to, to make a lot of sense, new commitments, probably more on the way. So I think it's pretty good news. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Ian Jackson, four-star outside linebacker out of Prattville High School. Um, he, he commits – on uh, on Thursday afternoonish, Thursday morningish, he commits uh, to Alabama. Comes the sixth member of the class. Uh, what's when you're when you're watching uh, Ian's tape, John? What what really jumps out at you? Just the versatility in, in his skill set. You know, he is a true hybrid prospect. And and the beauty of this is it's really twofold. One, you know, it makes his his floor very high and very strong, meaning worst-case scenario, if he is just a coverage linebacker, that'll be just fine because it's 2020 and everybody's throwing the ball 50 times a game. But his ceiling, you're talking about what he can do if he checks all the boxes, buys in the whole nine yards, his ceiling is as a true Mark Barron, versatile threat who can do a little bit of everything in that Alabama back seven. And on top of that, on top of the safety value, the nickel value, the linebacker value, he can rush the passer as well. So there's really no limit to the positions uh, that Ian Jackson can line up within. Um, And as he fills out and gets more physical, uh, there's really no limits in terms of what his future may be in crimson and white. And then when you talk to those around him, I know you talk to his coach, Caleb Ross, uh, I've been around the kid for several years now. You talk to folks in Montgomery and Prattville, everybody has nothing but glowingly positive things to say about Ian on and off the field. And and a lot of times we don't talk about that enough, but in this day and age where it's it's really one strike and you're out in the, in the court of a public perception, that's really important. He's the captain of their defense, even though he's only played the linebacker position for a year and some change. So, He's a hybrid. He's growing. We don't even know what he's going to be just yet, but you know his track record is extremely positive despite the fact that we know his best football is still well ahead. So he is a, a very in-the-moment, new-age linebacker, defensive prospect uh, who you can move around and really confuse offensive coordinators and quarterbacks with, and, and you really can't have enough of those guys on your roster. A couple things. I, I, I really like the Mark Barron comparison. It, it didn't really hit me because uh, when I was when I was talking to Caleb, we were because I asked him, you know, and and I you know realized a lot of coaches they probably don't like to oh try to compare you know your players and things like that or, or guys you've had in the past or guys you've seen. And we were talking about it, and, and where I think what we came down to was was a Rashawn Evans too a, a little bit. Um, but I do, I really do like that Mark Barron comparison. Yeah, you know, I, I think Rashawn was – his frame was a little bit more built for a true linebacker role, and then he just had the added bonus of of being an elite pass rusher already coming out of high school, a little bit taller, much bigger uh, than Jackson is at this moment. But I think when you talk about a safety moving to a linebacker, if you're an Alabama fan, 
that is Mark Barron to you. You know, that's a guy who can play those positions, even though Rashawn probably played more. Uh, I do think Rashawn was a little bit more explosive and polished at this stage. But, again, as we said with Ian, we just don't know yet. You know, he is still trajecting higher and higher each and every year. Um, and, and his first year playing a true linebacker role in a very good part of the state, he had nearly 100 tackles, a dozen for loss, five sacks, pick six. I mean, he did a little bit of everything with, with basically as, as minimal experience as, as one could imagine for a Division One prospect. So the thought of him spurring that into a, an elite and a breakout year two at the position, his senior year, um, is, is not hard to imagine. So I think he's got a lot of room to fill out. He's got a lot of room to get better both physically and mentally at his position, but he is well-equipped. He's got easy, nimble feet, strong laterally, and he's got ball skills. And I think maybe that's where he's more Rashawn Evans than Mark Barron. And, and we'll talk about this forever, but in this day and age, it's not about, you know, a great lockdown defender who's going to prevent the ball from getting to the wide receiver. It's about intercepting the football, turning the football over, knocking the ball down. It's about ball skills. That is what your back seven has to be good at. And when you look at Alabama's recent commitments, that's what they're along the line of. I think he pairs extremely well uh, with Kane Williams, the, the defensive mm-hmm. back, another hybrid who Bama yeah. just brought in from Louisiana. I think those two are going to be almost interchangeable. They're similar in size. They both have safety linebacker upside. So I love the thought of one day them playing together in Tuscaloosa and really giving a defense fits because or an offense fits because you just don't know if they're dropping, if they're rushing, if they're chucking, if they're in zone, if they're in man. They they have so much versatility with their skill set and like I said before, you just you can't have enough of those guys on your roster. But you know, Barron, Rashawn Evans, I mean any combination or or piece of those two guys, I think any Alabama fan would be really excited about that. Yeah, yeah, John, I was actually just about to mention Kane Williams. It's interesting, you know, He's, you know, he's been playing defensive backfield the last three years, and now Alabama, you know, they're they're probably going to project him to play, and you know, he's probably going to gain a lot of weight and gain muscle to get up to that linebacker level. And with Ian Jackson, you know, it's like he's linebacker right now, and he could play defensive backfield. So they really are interchangeable. I was, I, like I said, I was just about to bring him up, um, but when you look at this class right now, man, the, the pieces in my mind are really starting to fall into place. It's taken the longer and. Yes, that that was, you know, a little bit um, kind of uh, calculated, I would say. Um, but also, I mean, it, it's the nature of the beast, right? It was COVID-19. It was a lot of things. And um, and I think you are going to see a slew of guys. Um, now, I'm not, I, you know, you know, just think of just a couple names of guys who could, who could connect, uh, who could commit next. I mean, I'm thinking of Kendrick Blackshear out of Duncanville. I know Christian Leary, he moved back. His commitment date from June seven, uh, from June six, excuse me. Uh, you got Malcolm Johnson Jr., another wide receiver out of the, the D.C. area. Um, so those are just a couple guys. Is there anybody who stands out in your mind, John, of, of maybe who could fit into this class next? You know, I'm still on the quarterback train. You know, Alabama's got to address that position in, in 2021, and and really the the sort of lack of momentum stems from from losing a quarterback, right, with, with Drake May backing off that commitment and flipping to, to in-state North Carolina. So I, I still think Jalen Milrow, Miller Moss, uh, sort of that group of quarterbacks, they've, they've touched base with a quarterback now in Missouri, Caden uh, McMullen, who is one who he probably breaks out if, if we have a full offseason. He's a kid who's grown two inches and gained 20 pounds um, since the season. You know, So he's a quarterback that probably breaks out 
if we have a traditional camp schedule. Um, but he's still sort of offerless in the Power Five because everyone's still, you know, relegated to that 2019 tape. So I think between the, those kind of quarterbacks, Alabama has to, to lock in that position. And, and really that's what history tells us is, is the igniter. It's the catalyst for a good run into a great run or a crazy run. You know, every school right now at or near the top of any rankings probably has a quarterback already on board. I mean, Clemson, Ohio State, North Carolina, heck, Tennessee has a quarterback from Texas verbally committed. So I, I think there's there's still this, for me, this nostalgia of you've got to get your quarterback verbally committed. And I know Miller Moss is, is inching closer to crunch time. Um, Jalen Milrow is hearing more and more for school, from schools not named Texas, even though he's committed there. Uh, and as I said, uh, the McMullen kid up in up in Missouri is, is really one to keep an eye on if if something doesn't work out with Miller Moss and or Jalen Milrow. But really quick on, on Moss, you know, timing-wise, the sooner the better if you're an Alabama fan. Why? Because he's never been to Baton Rouge. Um, and there's there's this real sense of he wants to be in, in the room with the best. Um, you know, USC's got a quarterback verbally committed. UCLA, you know, winning on Saturdays just seems further – compared to the other schools on his list. And when he goes down to the SEC, it's Alabama and LSU, so two of the, of the most talented rosters. But I think there's just a different vibe right now at Alabama. There's a different level of familiarity at Alabama with Steve Sarkeesian, uh, with Nick Saban, uh, who he admits is, is still the coach, the head coach he talks to that sort of freaks him out the most in a good way. Um, so I do think if it comes down to the SEC schools, the sooner the better for, for Alabama because that dead period, of course, is now – it's, it's all summer, right? So he can't get to Baton Rouge physically till August at a minimum. Uh, and that and that's if they change some more rules and allow visits in August. So there's really a, a complicated issue there with LSU beyond the fact that they already have a quarterback already committed in Garrett Nussmeyer. So I think Miller Moss is still a guy I'm keeping a close eye on if I'm an Alabama fan. You know, three, four weeks ago I would have said USC and Bama of, of his final four were probably the two standing out the most, but I think UCLA has factored into this. And, and at the same token, I do think LSU has maybe faded just a tick uh, because he does want to get something done here in the relatively near future. So um, definitely look forward to, to catching up with him again on his next uh, SI All-American blog. But Miller Moss could very well be the quarterback for Alabama, and, and he's got a receiver uh, at his high school, Bishop Alabama, who is is a big Alabama target as well. So there's really a, a national implication when Alabama does land its quarterback in 21, and I think you have to do it, especially with Talia Tingle-Bailoa, uh, of course, departed for Maryland. Yeah, you know, I was I was going to bring up. Uh, it, it appears it appears like it, it you know two horse race between USC and and, uh, and Alabama. But just from reading the blogs in Miller Moss, I, I quote tweeted one of his quotes in there. Um, I think it was his last one, maybe. He was talking about how intellectually stimulating it was to have a conversation with Nick Saban about football, about life, about success, about really anything. And um, and, and the more I think about it, the more I, the more I listen to him in these blogs that are awesome. It's just like the, the whole Bryce Young thing, right? Like like a player not committing because someone is already there at their position. Like that myth about them not wanting to compete and go elsewhere, I, I think that's a myth, right? Like that's, I think that's so far from the truth, and especially with Miller Moss, like he'll be the first one to tell you, hey, like I, if, if I'm going to go there, I mean, if I go there, that has no bearing on what it is. I just want to go and compete, and competing with Bryce Young would make me better. 
what if I told you that they're they've been friends almost their entire life? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They train together. Yeah, yeah they, they, they train together. Close. They they know each other extremely well. Um, and and neither guy is gonna back down from the other uh, in a competitive setting. If, if anything, it enhances the competition. It, it makes it more of a hey, I got to get this done because he knows what I can do and I know what he can do. You know, it's almost like. You remember those classic, I mean, you're young, but you remember those classic AFC North battles when, like, Ray Lewis and the Baltimore Ravens would go against, like, Palomalu and those Pittsburgh yeah, Steelers yeah. teams. Everybody knew what was going to happen, and it was just, like, your best versus my best. I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. Let's let's meet in the hole and see what happens, right? Um, that's That's what those guys, I would imagine, the competition would be like because of that familiarity. It breeds something different. It's why we love rivalries in college football. You know, it's the same principle there. So, yeah, uh, Bryce Young is definitely not going to be the reason Miller Moss goes elsewhere if he does pick USC, UCLA, or LSU. That That is uh, as confirmed as confirmed gets in this business. Like I said, they're tight. Their families know each other. They've trained together. They're, they're, those people overlap incredibly. You know, Steve Sarkeesian in that system at Modern Day was a big reason why Bryce Young committed, and Steve Sarkeesian is, is after Nick Saban, the the absolute glue between Miller Moss and the interest with Alabama. I mean, I, I think among the offensive coordinators, that could be his best relationship and his most familiar relationship. He knows his kids in L.A. the whole nine yards. So there's a lot more connections with Miller Moss in Alabama than than an untrained person would see or a casual fan would see in recruiting because the kids from Los Angeles. It's it's not exactly apples to apples. So I, I do think that Bryce Young could actually enhance Alabama's chances of landing Miller Moss. Uh, so it's it's going to be really interesting, and I'm, I'm excited for, for Miller because he is he's a little overwhelmed right now. I think he, he would admit that. Uh, I know he would admit that. So I, I do think it, it could lead to a decision here, you know, in the next several weeks, maybe a month, a month and a half. But certainly he is still on track to make that call before uh, before the season really comes close. Uh, so uh, yeah, potential June decision um, maybe in the books. Just a, just a couple more questions on this class, then I want to get into um, some some other things nationally. When you look at Alabama's two wide receiver commits in this class right now, John, you got Jacory Brooks, uh, you got Ajay Hall, both of them six three. Um, you know, both of them about with the same weight too, about one ninety or so. You know, first my first question though is, which 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 prospect do you think has the higher ceiling out of those two? I think when you're talking about pure athleticism, it's probably a Jai Hall, just in terms of, you know, if like like we talked about earlier with Jackson, you know, if if he buys in, he's just you know 100% like all in with with everything he does at Alabama, it's probably a Jai Hall. Um, but the floor is much stronger with Jacory Brooks. So again, are you what are you projecting for? Are we talking? 2022 or are we talking about 2000 like right now like 2020 going into their senior year you know I think that's that's really the question and and really the biggest difference in opinion with those two guys um they're, they're similar in size they both play elite competition in the state of Florida a guy in the Tampa area Jacory of course down in Miami they've they've played against great corners year in year out off-season camps the whole nine yards there um, they're both alphas in their own way. I think Jacory is more of an alpha physically. Uh, he wants to get up on you 50-50 balls, body control, catch radius, and then after the catch, he's a real physical guy. He wants to 
he wants to block you to the ground. Uh, you know, so he's he's a he's a Bama style player where where he's got almost a defensive mentality. Uh, and then Ajay is just that sort of gazelle, right? In the open field, you're just you're seeing him stride, and you're like, why is nobody catching him? He's a big receiver. You would think he's not as fast and explosive as he is. Um, so, so I think they're a little bit different despite uh, those size similarities. They have different mentalities today. But, um, man, imagine them feeding off of each other one day uh, at Alabama. I mean, that could be something really special and, and kind of scary because that's really the – they're sort of in the Clemson wide receiver mold, right? Alabama hasn't featured receivers like that, 6'3", 200 pounds with, with this great um, – I'm sort of open even when you're covering me and you're hip-to-hip. I'm still open because of my catch radius and body control and ball skills. That's been a Clemson, Ohio State, USC kind of thing, not necessarily a Bama thing, but if it becomes that, it's obviously you know that much better for the Tide offensively. And, and yeah, those two – it's hard for me to imagine either won't be special, uh, especially athletically. I think once you get into other factors, you could see some variance. But athletically and physically, I mean, those those are two of, of the absolute best in America. Hey, last question on this class, and then we can get into one national topic that I do want to get into briefly. Uh, we, you know, wide receiver, right? Like, it, it's interesting. You look over. You, if you look at Alabama's past recruiting class from when Nick Saban arrived there, and you see obviously there was loaded on there was. Offensive talent has been littered throughout, right? But but the calling card on some of these classes was defense, defense, defense. You look at the linebackers, the defensive backs, the, the defensive linemen. Those were kind of the staples of classes beforehand. And now, you know, you're getting more into this new age style of football, and it's all about the quarterbacks. It's all about the receivers. And so when you look back, for example, John, the 2017 class at the receiver position, you had Jerry Judy, you had Henry Ruggs, you had Devontae Smith, two of three who are already first-round picks. And Devontae Smith, you know, Lord willing, he'll be a first-round pick as well after uh, next season. And so Alabama was already with Ja'Cory on board, Ajay on board, and, you know, they, they're looking to fill – I mean, they're probably going to sign four wide receivers, I believe, maybe a fifth if there's still a guy out there who's like, you know, who they're just really, really high on. But, you know, they're looking for that slot guy. You just mentioned the difference in, in play styles. But, you know, Christian Leary and Malcolm Johnson Jr., who I mentioned earlier, those two guys are arguably the two fastest receivers in yeah. the you know in, in in the entire 2021 class, and then also Brian Thomas out, out of Louisiana, he didn't have the top four, but there's a growing belief that it, it's really down to LSU and Alabama for him as well. So, do you think that this this class of receivers could have a similar style impact like a 2017 uh, recruiting class did at the or at the receiver spot? Yeah, you know, in that 17 class, Tyler, as you know, I, I covered Alabama on a, on a daily basis, and when when they were constructing that group. We used to just sort of say, look, I don't know the exact names today of the wide receivers that are going to sign Crimson and White, but it's going to be the best receiver class in the country, and there may not be much of a debate. Um, and obviously it worked out. I mean, gosh, that class was, was, let's be honest, it was better than we all thought. It's better, probably better than Alabama thought at one point. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, you're gonna, if you get three first-round picks out of four guys you signed, I mean, that's probably never been done. I haven't looked it up. Maybe Clemson did it at one point or USC back in the day, but it's just not something you would expect uh, as, as a realist. So I kind of feel that way about this class, not necessarily that there's going to be a bunch of number one picks, but you, you don't know the last few pieces to the wide receiver puzzle, but if it is Leary or Johnson or half these other guys, it's like a, an elite group, <laughs> and that's what – that's what you need if you're Alabama because of all of these departures. You mentioned the two from this past year. Obviously, 
this year, you're going to lose Smitty. You probably lose Waddle, who's another first-rounder, um, and who knows with, with the other guys. So you're going to need some, some reinforcements at that position. And we saw Alabama, you know, prioritize it to a degree last year, um, but there's no doubt that this year's class will have more firepower. It'll have more volume, more numbers, um, and probably more speed with some of the guys that you just listed. I actually think Christian Leary delaying the decision is probably good news for Alabama. Um, I do think I that think so as well. I think Oklahoma was starting to trend a little bit. Um, you know, Mario Williams had just committed to Oklahoma, another slot type of wide receiver, um, and, and it was there was some momentum there. Those guys don't live more than you know half an hour away from each other. Uh, so I did think that that was, was interesting news here in the last day or two uh, that he is pushing things back because he was, of course, set to, what, next weekend, right, June 6th? Yeah, June 6th. It was so, his mom's birthday. Yeah, so so you know it's a big deal when you're pushing back on mom's birthday, right? I mean, we don't have to dig into into the, the morals of that at this point. So I do think it's better news for Alabama. Maybe Auburn sneaks in a little bit. Uh, it just depends on how long – he delays it. But, but the good news for covering any recruit right now, Tyler, and I know this is not a relief, but it's definitely like a confirmation for, for all of us in this business. I don't think any kid is, is right now saying, I got to take visits before I commit. I really think it's pretty black and white. Either you were always going to be a long-term kid who, who waited till the season or, or even signing day to make a decision, or you're one of the majority that says, I want to be committed before my season starts. Now, when you're on that side of the coin, it means no more visits at least physically, right, virtual visits, you know, are they effective? Are they working? I, I haven't seen a kid say I've committed because of a virtual visit just yet. Um, but that whole camp of kids that, that want to be done before their season, today they know no more visits uh, before that, that begins. So I think that is huge news in terms of how they plan to make their decisions. And I think it hurts those programs that are trying to come on late, like in Auburn for Christian Leary. It's just harder – to get in the mix late when the kid can't can't drive up to your campus. So I do think this is good news for Alabama with Leary in particular. Get, going into Louisiana and pulling even one of those guys uh, I think would be tough, the other receivers that we mentioned, um, but, but getting one would be great, right? I mean, you could – I think you'd be pretty happy if, if your wide receiver class was a Jai Hall, Ja'Cory Brooks, Christian Leary, um, and Johnson. You know, I think that would be about as good as it gets nationally. Um, so – We'll see how, how that one plays out. Um, we know there's some in Texas. I mentioned the one in California as well that Alabama's in on. Uh, and there's some in-state receivers, Tyler, that I think before all is said and done could really factor in here uh, with Alabama. There's a strong group that, that is another, like the quarterback I mentioned in Missouri, where you're like, man, if this kid had a full off season, he'd already be you know higher on the board with schools X, Y, and Z. So there's, there's some in-state wide receivers that I think are worth watching. Rock Taylor at Oxford, who's currently committed to Tennessee, huge Alabama fan, always wanted to go there. Um, I, I think Christian Leary, uh, a kid from Birmingham, he's another uh, that has ties to Alabama, long wide receiver, Malachi Bennett. He's, he's the nephew of Earl Bennett, the SEC. I think he's still the SEC all-time leading like receptions per game or something like that from up at Vanderbilt. Um, so there's still some in-state guys to keep an eye on as well. It's not just Bama going national as, as we've sort of become a, a little bit used to. Or or just the state of Florida, or just completely owning the state of Florida. Right. Well, uh, yeah, at that position, yeah, all Florida. <laughs> yeah, and, and you did mention Christian Lewis out of Pleasant Grove. I remember he was back on campus. I believe it was the first junior day back in February. You know, I, I was thinking he was on offer watch. 
hasn't really got that. But but you're right though. There's a lot of guys out there who had they normally would have had a normal summer, man. They'd be they'd be blowing up right now. Um, but I do think the big thing is in Alabama's class. You look at these rankings, right? Like I know SL Americans working on getting their own, but a lot of these guys are going to be high riders. I really do think a guy like Anquan Barnes in the defensive line down there in Lee and Montgomery, he's going to be a high riser. And Ian Jackson too, right? Like. He's listed as the 235th best prospect in the country. Now, by the end of his senior season, you know, if football goes on a schedule, I don't think there's going to be, you know, exactly 234 guys better than Ian Jackson, right? Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to work into. Uh, but more of a national story, though, is the final kind of thing we talk about here, John. Uh, you talked about a little bit, you know, the NCAA extending the dead period and saying, hey, no more, no in-person visits until at least June, July 31st. Uh, this was obviously not good, not good news for recruits. The ones I talked to, they, you know, their whole thing was like, man, I'm rescheduling to June. And then once they extended the deadline, man, I got to push it back. And they thought, you know, there, I, you know, there was kind of some belief between these recruits that it was going to happen. They were going to be able to go on campus. The NCAA shut that down, though. And you especially thought that when the NCAA came out and said, all right, we're going to allow students on respective campuses June 1st. Um, so inter- interesting news there. Uh, do you think at all, John, I mean, that the early – how do you think the early signing period is affected by this, if it is at all? Gosh, yeah, it, it's going to be – the fall is going to be very busy, not only because we're all running around covering games and stuff, but because there's going to be so much movement in recruiting. And there just has to be, right? There's – just think about it. Just, this is from – you don't have to know anything about recruiting. Just think of the logic here. School A takes prospect A after digging a little bit deeper into his video from 2019. We're in May, about to be in June. Now, go back to the time that you were a teenager, Tyler. How much could you have your body change or a growth spurt or anything really come into your own in six months? I mean, it's a huge a lot. A lot. Yeah, it's a huge chunk of time where there's really not much information on these kids. So, so take that – that's sort of factor one. Factor two, now we're going to have a season again, Lord willing, and these kids are, are now going to get on there. And, and the kids who, who might have changed more than others that nobody knew about are all of a sudden going to emerge, right? So that's, that's sort of factor two, the senior season evaluation, which we know Alabama has, has prioritized more and more over the last decade or so. Factor those two things in. And think of the schools in the SEC, and this is an Alabama podcast, right? Think of Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn. Think about what they're going to do when prospects on their board or their commitment list, you know, shift their expectation. If, if they come up short or they exceed it by a ton, what are they going to do? They're going to move that prospect on their board, whether it means cutting the kid, whether it means prioritizing other kids, right? So there's going to be – built-in movement. Now, think of it from the kid's perspective. If you don't know anything about recruiting, right now you have options one, two, and three in terms of scholarship offers, right? Now we get to the season and, and people start to see you, right? We have technology. We have YouTube and Huddle and we'll be out at high school games, all of this. People start to see you. Now what happens to those options? They change. You probably get some more. You may get a little less in some cases. And now all of a sudden that commitment you made in April in the middle of COVID-19 doesn't feel as good because now there's, there's new suitors. There's new options for you. And now you can take visits. And on top of those visits, now you can take official visits, which means the school can pay for it. You're not even losing a dollar taking these trips 
across America. And, and every kid's got five of them, right? So there's going to be so much movement just because of, of the player changing his mind or the school changing their mind on the player. Uh, so I, I just think it's going to be an epic sort of decommitment season, and I have no idea what that means for the early signing period. I mean, precedent says, you know, hey, it's been put in place. There's really been nothing to jeopardize that. Um, and if anything, we've only seen an extension of those type of things because of COVID, right? We've seen the, the, the normal signing period extended much, much further beyond the deadline. So I could see a scenario where there's an early signing period mid-December as usual, but instead of just for a couple of days, maybe it goes – you know, all the way until the normal signing day. I'm not sure how they're going to approach it. But I do have a hard time believing that there won't be an early signing period. There are more verbal commitments right now than than, than last year at this time by a lot, mm-hmm. maybe two maybe two to one. So yeah, I, think it's, I think it's over double. Right. So it's so much more, um, and, and these schools are going to want to theoretically lock in the kids who do uh, their part uh, throughout the, the, the pandemic and, and their senior year. So I have a hard time just gut feeling, believing the NCAA is going to eliminate a signing period. I could absolutely see them extending the early signing period and maybe blurring them together just because they just extended a ton of deadlines, good and bad, right, with the signing period and with the dead period. So I think I think we're going to have one, and I think it's going to be the wild, wild west, and it's going to be kind of crazy to cover, and I'm, I'm excited yet a little bit nervous just to jump into it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think an I think an extension is key. You know, in the summertime, right? Like like those are those are time when these when these rising seniors can say, "Hey, I'm going to go here because I've got the time." Right? There's flexibility in the schedule. In the fall, I mean, we're all busy. Everybody, fall is the most busiest time of the year for I think the majority of people um, in this country, just because of so much going on. And when you limit the ability, you limit the opportunities to visit. That's where I think. Um, you kind of allow you got to allow some kind of leeway, right? So going into de- going into December, um, I mean, already some visits are there, but when that signing period opens up, I think you got to extend that um, until the national signing day as well. So, so I'll, I'll agree with you there, John. And as we both know, Alabama is keen for getting flipped, and so I, you know, half of almost half of the 2020 class was flipped. There's no doubt in my mind that Alabama is going to add, uh, you know, a handful of guys who. You know, who who thought who thought oh in, in in April and May that hey you know this was best and then you know Alabama comes in with a late offer they get in there and uh, and and they still they still come in. Yeah, there's there's still what maybe five programs that no matter when they offer whether you're a freshman or signing day morning of your senior year when they offer it still kind of rattles you positively. I mean it's it's Clemson Alabama. Maybe Ohio State, maybe LSU with with their recent buzz in the national title. That's probably it, right? I mean, can you think of another school that that you you talk to kids and they're like, "Holy crap! I did not think this was coming." Maybe Stanford, but for different reasons. Um, but my point is, yes, they're already we are we just talked about it. There's gonna be a ton of flips, just black and white verbatim, right? Without much imagination, just just the natural progression of time. But there's also still going to be those conventional flips that you talked about with Alabama always seemingly on the positive end of uh, that, that always strike in December and January. And that's, that's where, you, where you win recruiting titles. That's where we'll see, in my opinion, Alabama surge and get back right, right into that top five that 
that we're used to seeing Alabama at. Now, Ohio State and Clemson may have run away with, with the title by then, but um, Alabama, Georgia, you know, these, these, there's a handful of programs that are still going to challenge that group. North Carolina, Tennessee maybe, maybe this year. But that offer from Alabama from Nick Saban still means about as much, if not more, than any other offer in America. So uh, that's not going to change as, as the years change, at least not yet. Well, John, I appreciate your time, and uh, and we'll look forward to when the flips do happen. Because because I mean, in this in this recruiting world, in this climate, in this in this in this culture, they, they're inevitable, right? And we'll look forward to uh, the you know the banter, the fans online getting upset, the Dodge Charger meme. So we'll, we'll look forward to that, won't we? Absolutely, it's it's a it's a national rite of passage, and uh, anything having to do with with just sports and drama, as opposed to any other drama and and, and everything else we're going to deal with as a country this year and that we've already dealt with, I'm all for that. So, yes, get those Dodge Charger memes rolling. Get some challengers in there, too, kids like that one as well. So, yeah, let's, let's go on that side and focus on that as much as we can. Awesome, John. Well, we're smarter because we're, we're, getting, we're getting information from you, uh, one of the experts in the recruiting world, so we really do appreciate your time. Absolutely, Tyler. Thanks for having me back on.